You are tuned into the very first episode of Tech Feed. Tech Feed is about telling untold stories of women in disruptive tech and teaching you about the industries they are in. The main focus is tech in South Africa and Africa at large. Today we have Karen Bowman, who is a product owner at Luno. <laughs> I will tell you more, but she will introduce herself. Hello, Karen, and welcome to Tech Feed. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for inviting me. I've really been looking forward to this. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. Okay, so do you want? Do you mind telling the listeners who you are? Okay. Um, well, I work at Luno, the cryptocurrency company. Um, I've been there uh, uh, just a bit less than a year, though it feels like a lot longer when you work with a company like that. <laughs> um, but I've been in tech in uh, a range of different uh, industries under tech, under the tech banner, and a range of different positions for about the last 10 years. Um, I've always been very passionate about technology, right since I was an eight-year-old kid playing on DOS and Windows <laughs> 3.1. Um, so I always knew that I was going to work with technology right from back then. Um, it's changed over the years, um, right from starting uh, with a degree in computer science and learning programming to being more in a kind of tech interpretation role where I'm a product owner um, working between stakeholders and engineers, uh, software engineers. Oh, that's so cool. So you started off by, you studied tech basically is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. I studied a, a degree uh, in computer science um, at Rhodes uh, and then I ended up taking linguistics uh, just for fun. And it turns out they actually fit together really well. Um, but I never actually went into full-time programming myself. Um, I dabbled a bit over the years. Uh, but I realized pretty quickly that what I enjoyed most was helping uh, software engineers and developers um, interpret what they were doing for people who are not software engineers and developers <laughs> and kind of being that interpreter between the tech and the non-tech world. That's actually such a needed thing because um, half the, I mean, I'm a developer, so half the time, even things like business um, requirements and things like that aren't clearly um, understood between me yeah. and the business team. So I think that's that's quite cool. It's it's a necessary job, essentially. Yeah, there's that clip that does the rounds every year on YouTube about the expert and how <laughs> things are so difficult to explain between the the very specialized expertise and <laughs> the more business-minded people um yeah. and it is it is interpretation there are different languages basically um yeah. and so you really need to find a way to communicate in order to get the best possible value for everyone involved by just making sure that you're talking about the same thing <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, I also like that you studied linguistics, as you said, and you said um, yes. it was computer science, but somehow you found a way um, for them to kind of work. And I think in tech, that's quite um, a thing that people need to understand, especially in Africa, where you can be a musician and still like use tech in your music industry. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, uh, so it was actually interesting. I went to the Gartner IT Expo um, a couple of years ago, and they said that the most valuable employees of the future are those hybrids. So in the past, um, where you had very specialized roles, you were expected to only be an engineer or only be a programmer. And it was very important that you had that depth in a particular aspect. Um, but in the future, what they're really looking for um, 
is not people who have deeply specialized, but people who have a broad knowledge in a complete range. Because if they want something that is very specialized, that's what we turn to uh, machine learning and AI and automation for. Um, but we want humans are broad, they're flexible. And so that's what is where the future really is. It's people who have that flexibility, who have that range of knowledge and can learn different things. No, that's actually very true. Okay, so I'm going to get into more of your tech um, <laughs> journey. <laughs> yeah. So um, when I was researching you, it said that you started as a teaching assistant. Um, but uh, how did you move from that? <laughs> to good old day. Tech? <laughs> um, so actually, I, I did my degree in computer science and linguistics. Um, and then, like many South Africans do, I found out that I had a lot of student loans and debt, <laughs> and I needed to make some money quickly, um, and wanted to go on an adventure, and didn't have money for that either. So I went to Japan uh, to teach English and pay off my student loans. Um, but actually, I mean, I'd done it kind of just as a, a gap time off, but it actually shaped a lot of my understanding. I mean, Japan is decades ahead in terms of customer service and user experience design. Um, so while I wasn't working in that industry, I did learn a lot about service design and user experience, though I didn't know what I was learning back then. Um, so, yeah, it uh, kind of just went there and then came back um, and worked with uh, the Japanese government for a while here in South Africa. Um, and then... Um, I came down to Cape Town after a couple of years uh, and actually ended up joining a e-learning company. Um, I originally kind of joined as a uh, technical and creative writer, but quickly became a uh, technical project manager um, and kind of went back into my, my real passion, which was interpreting and helping people from different spheres or contexts to understand each other and work together in the most the best possible way. Wow, that's actually that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> it's a really weird journey, but it all makes sense in the end. <laughs> it I think sometimes life does that where you start yeah. off one place and somehow it it works out eventually. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what does Luno do? Um and yeah, how does it work? What what's Luno? Okay, <laughs> so Luno is a cryptocurrency company. Um, so just to give you a very broad understanding of what cryptocurrency is, um, I won't go into the technical details because it's a lot and there are millions <laughs> of sites on the internet. But basically, cryptocurrency is a virtual currency. It's, it's like a tokenized currency. Um, so it's a currency that doesn't really have a real world physical equivalent like money has coins and paper money um, okay. we can create physical representations of it but it, it's not what it's for um, and we're actually quite used to this tokenized system we just don't realize it um, club card points air miles those are all tokenized system there's no such physical thing as an air mile but you know it has value and you can use it to buy tickets. You can use it to buy things in the High Flyers Club and all that. So that it's a tokenized system. Okay. Um, and there are different types of crypto cryptocurrencies, just like we have different types of physical currencies. So you have rands, you have dollars, you have euros. Um, so you have 
cryptocurrencies as well, like Bitcoin and Litecoin and uh, uh, Ethereum. So each of them has their own value. There are exchange rates and that sort of thing. The key difference mm-hmm. is that a physical fiat currency like rands or dollars is tied to a particular country and controlled by a government because it has a a reserve bank attached and all that sort of thing whereas cryptocurrencies don't okay they're decentralized there's a whole lot of technical stuff with the blockchain and ledgers and that sort of thing but basically um it's controlled through technology through the communication of different computers and so it is it's completely decentralized there's no government controlling it um which means it is uh, harder to uh mess with it in a way um it is highly volatile at the moment because it's still very young and young currency is always volatile um Mm -hmm. but its volatility isn't directly connected to a single country or political situation. And that's what makes it so different from the physical currencies. That makes sense. Yeah. So Luno is a, what we call a wallet. Um, So in physical money, rands, dollars, we have banks. However, Luna is not like a bank. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what we know. We know banks. There are these big institutions that uh, keep large amounts of money, though they actually mm. don't. It's digital as well. Um, but in cryptocurrency, we don't have banks because it's decentralized. What we do have is wallets. Um, and it's basically a place where you keep a record of how much the digital currency that you have. Um, okay. And allows you to kind of manage that the, the digital currencies, whether you receive them, whether you send them, um, which different currencies you have. So it's it's just a way of kind of exchanging um, the different cryptocurrencies for fiat and for keeping it in one place, so that you can send it, receive it, or store it until it becomes more valuable. Okay. So um, I'm understanding the whole um, idea of it being like equivalent of um, money, but like not physical. Yeah. But then what do you do with your, um, I, like what, what can you do with your Bitcoins? Or like, I'm trying to understand that. Okay. So the thing is that it's still very young. It's very much in its infancy. So there isn't a lot you can do with it right now. However, as um, things change, um, so think about Krugerrands, for instance. When you buy okay. Krugerrands, there's not much you can do with it. You keep it because it will become more valuable over time as uh, there, there's a demand for it in the future and there aren't many of them left. Um, so right now, there there isn't a way to transact a lot with crypto. There are places that will accept it. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, it's about uh, buying shares in a way um, to keep them for future and to be able to exchange them for uh, other types of currency, uh, swap them with people who want to make more. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the near future, as things grow, uh, you'll probably find that more and more companies and groups will realize that a lot of people have been gathering this and it's, it's a good idea. And so you'll be able to start using crypto to pay for things on Amazon, on Take-A-Lot. And then it'll go a step further 
Um, and then things like uh, MasterCard and Visa will start accepting it, which means that your payment terminals at your spaza shop and at Woolworths will start allowing you to use your crypto funds from your wallet to pay for your mm -hmm. groceries. So it's early days still, um, but it is going to grow to the point where you can use it on a daily basis in a transactional way. Okay. So would you recommend people get into it now then before its value um, or its use gets bigger? Of um, I, well, <laughs> at Luno, we <laughs> have something we call the penny drop moment, um, which is the moment where you realize that cryptocurrency was worth it, that you should be part of this, that you should be part of it. It's a good idea. And for me, my penny drop personally was when I mean, when I heard about cryptocurrency, I kind of thought, oh, it's just another tokenized system. It's fine. I don't really need to get involved. It's not a big deal. And then I realized that this actually is the future, which means that my nieces and my nephews and their families will eventually be using this. They, it will probably replace credit cards one day. It will replace normal banks. And I fully believe that this is the future. Um, but it only really kind of woke me up that I needed to take part as early as now because I knew that it was be it would be normal for them and someone has to teach them how to use this so they don't accidentally sell off their inheritance or something. <laughs> um, so that was my moment of why I wanted to get involved in cryptocurrency while it's still kind of in its infancy in some ways um, because I want to get to know it and understand it and get, get comfortable with it uh, before it becomes mainstream and before you can make bigger mistakes in a way. Um, a lot of people want to get in early uh, because they're passionate about it. Some other people want to get in because of valuation, because it is as volatile as it is because um, the, the price does jump up and down. It is likely to keep going up in future. Um, and so what you buy now has a high likelihood of becoming far more valuable in future. So, I mean, it depends on the person. Each person's okay. got their own reason. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like Luno and the whole um, cryptocurrency idea is quite a disruptive tech. Um, it's like Uber, for instance, was disruptive to our yeah. um, taxi and meter um, cabs market. So yeah. how do you think, obviously Luno is disruptive to the banking industry, especially, um, but how do you think that relates to um, Africa as a whole? So how is it disruptive in the context of Africa and how mm. could it change the game essentially? So uh, I was actually, uh, when you first contacted me, I thought, okay, let me try and understand what the dictionary definition of disruptive <laughs> is and really get it. And I was very interested that the original definition was when you have a market that's quite saturated um, especially by big corporates, um, and they start honing all their their offerings to the higher paying, higher valued market because I mean they've got to make money, um, and so that they don't offer the more low end options to people who are just getting by who won't provide a lot of revenue for the company. And disruptors are people who come in and see that low end option, low end. Uh, group that's not being catered to and they offer something that's very different that's very disruptive that's not necessarily as uh, luxury or as well-rounded as what is currently on the market yeah. um, it's a cheaper it's a, it's a little uh, good enough not, not brilliant 
Um, and it's enough that it, it starts eating away the market because even the high-end customers start saying, well, actually, that's a better option, even though it's cheaper, even though it's not as good, even though it's not as tailored to me, it's actually a better mm -hmm. option. And that's what crypto is. We, it doesn't have the amazing bells and whistles that banks do. You're not going to get home loans. You're not going to get these big investment options. You're not going to get um, your own private account manager um, and special coffee when you go into the branch. <laughs> it's, it's a good enough. Um, but the thing is, it's a lot cheaper and it is easily accessible and gives people a lot of independence. And I mean, that's what we're passionate about at Luno um, is, is that kind of independence and that freedom that it offers to the average consumer or the average customer. Mm -hmm. In Africa, this is a really big deal because on the one hand, uh, we, need, uh, we, we have a market that needs a much lower uh, cost option, a uh, much more flexible option. Um, also that they even if they could afford the higher end options i mean it's quite difficult uh they, they don't have access to the big bank branches nigeria it's particularly challenging because banks are going to require a lot of very specific documentation credit records that sort of thing mm -hmm. those things are really hard to get hold of in a lot of african countries nigeria for example it, it's almost impossible to get hold of national ID. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, difficult to apply and get it printed and sent to you. So the current mainstream options aren't really viable mm -hmm. in a lot of ways in Africa. And so we're offering something that is viable. Cryptocurrency is a way to uh, not deal with all the problems that mainstream banking institutions provide. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the problem that when your currencies are linked to um, the country and the politics of it, there's a lot of volatility there, especially in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, look at Zimbabwe, for instance. <laughs> and so, I was actually thinking as, of Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as volatile as cryptocurrency is, in comparison to what their currencies have done before, it's actually the safer option. Uh, so that freedom from political affiliation and from the, the volatility that the physical currencies go through as a result of being um, related to the government um, just allows them to remain competitive. Uh, so a good example is uh, with Corona happening and COVID and all this, uh, we've seen huge market crashes around the world, currencies being massively devalued. On the other hand, a lot of people have moved to cryptocurrency out of uh, fear and quite reactionary to try and diversify their incomes and their, their investments. And as a result, the price of a lot of the cryptocurrencies has gone up. Mm -hmm. So in your African countries where they, if they lose business, they might lose food on the table um, because the cost of living is much more critical. The ability to easily diversify to a different currency without having to go and visit a bank and try and get hold of dollars that are almost impossible to get hold of when you're in the middle of Congo or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, that's huge for them. That, that's life change that they could just mm -hmm. download an app take a photo of themselves and a document um, 
and then be able to buy a different currency to diversify and store money um, and exchange it with a different uh, fluctuation of rates. It's huge for them. It's life-changing, yeah. Yeah. And it also offers a lot of remittance, for example. I mean, um, if uh, we've got a lot of people from Central Africa living in South Africa, and it's going to be quite costly and moreover quite difficult to exchange and send currency. But to be able to exchange it to a cryptocurrency, it's much easier to uh, send and receive cryptocurrency and then change it out to the right currency in the country that you need it. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, wow. It actually has a lot of context <laughs> within um, our continent. Because, I mean, Luno is a London-based company. Well, that's what um, it said. And I was like, okay, cool. So... I've always been of the perception that international companies don't really mm. help um, in terms of like Africa's tech and Africa's yeah. uh, commitment to development. But then I feel like with the Luna idea, it kind of does boil down to like, for instance, you guys are launching things in Nigeria. So you are changing mm. the tech space um, within the country and obviously equipping the people within the country to learn more about tech and, you know, grow as a country because that, tech industries as you said like japan is decades far away and like Mm. south africa is a bit behind i mean we're playing catch up but um i don't know fast enough rates i think uh so yeah do you think international corporates do help in our technology development because i do now but yeah um well sorry of luno it's interesting uh luno is a london-based company but it was started by south africans who were living in london um, so our home base is actually South Africa in many ways, and um, most of our company's employees are South African. Um, mm-hmm. Our largest uh, part of the companies here, though we do have branches all around the world, um, mm-hmm. and our largest market is still South Africa. Um, we have we're in over forty countries at the moment. Um, we have a huge contingent in Europe, Malaysia. But South Africa and Nigeria are still our largest markets because they're just so hungry for cryptocurrency and for the future, which actually makes a lot of sense to me because we often have this misconception that South Africa is quite far behind, but our banking has always been quite advanced, globally speaking. Um, We were offering EFT and debit orders before, I mean, many first world countries still don't offer those kind of things. So we are actually quite advanced. Um, And we have something in Africa, not just in South Africa, that is quite unique. And it's this very innovative can-do attitude that um, make it work kind of feeling. (laughs) It's very unique and special um, to Africa, this feeling that you find a way. You, you don't Sometimes give up. Really you don't say it's too difficult. You find a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what makes uh, South Africa and Africa in general such a fertile place for disruptive tech and for cryptocurrency is because it's already in our mindset that you you take a chance and you you find a way. So uh, when it comes to corporates. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think corporates, uh, just in that they introduce new technology and bring things into the mainstream, it 
does, it always is going to benefit. It, mm-hmm. The difference is in how much it benefits um, and whether that benefit is uh, nice and <laughs> morally acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Um, Terry Pratchett had a lovely quote. He says, just because it's not nice doesn't mean it's not miraculous. Um, <laughs> so a lot of advances that big corporates bring in aren't always nice. They're quite cutthroat. Uh, but what the benefit they bring in is that they're bringing new ideas and new services and new contexts into the mainstream market, which mm-hmm. allows people to then springboard off of, depending on yeah. how open-handedly they've been willing to share ideas. Uh, so, yeah. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think that's where then you can get... Um small businesses coming up from like gaps that they find in the corporate ideas that exactly. they put into the market. So I do think it's quite, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great way for Africa to um, improve in terms of tech. Um, but I actually, oh, wow, I'm shocked. I didn't know that, you know, I mean, I knew there was an African base to it, but I didn't know that it was actually like, it's mainly South African focused. That's actually cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the first way to, the first kind of big flag is that our, our CEO is Marcus Swanepoel. So <laughs> but yeah, no, our heart is very much South African South and African, African yeah. in general. Um, so uh, I, there's actually a um, documentary uh, that we sponsored. Uh, we, we didn't write it or own it in any way. Um, we just helped support the guys who wanted to do it um, about cryptocurrency emerging in Africa. Um, and it's called Banking on Africa because... Uh, as a company, Luno is very passionate about Africa being a, a huge player in the crypto market, market in uh, in future. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I'm very passionate about, I think there's so much innovative potential in Africa um, and so much willingness to give it a shot and try it out. And that's really the attitude that allows something like cryptocurrency to blossom. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I yeah. Are you I sold? <laughs> no, I'm sold. Definitely. Um, I will. Um, if I can, I will uh, share the link on my social media for the um documentary because I'm still also gonna watch it. Um, yeah, that would be great. I think it's I think being released on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. I'm so no, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm now gonna go into more um you personally or specifically in the tech industry and how it's been for you navigating throughout it. Um as I said, I'm quite passionate about like women in tech. So how does it look like to be a woman in tech now as compared to the past? And how do you foresee it going? Because obviously there's quite a lot of like misconceptions and like assumptions. Mm. And the industry isn't filled with women already, so there's also that element. Yeah. Um, but how 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 is how does it look like? I think it is a lot better than it was. I mean, back not that long ago, but the yeah, affair <laughs> bit of ago when I was in university. Um, by the time I got to my third year, there was thirty people in my computer science class, and of those thirty, three were women. Um, so less kind of 10% and less. Um, so I'm finding in my age group and above, uh, we're still very unrepresented, uh, low, underrepresented in the yes. tech space. Um, but when I look at the, the younger crowd, 
it's not like that at all. Um, mm -hmm. It is changing, and especially internationally. I think South Africa is a bit behind uh, in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there's a there's less uh, encouragement and drive uh, for women to get into tech in South Africa um, comparatively to the UK or America, for example. But I think Generation Z coming up is a really different. I mean, I love Generation Z. They're doing amazing things. And I think we're going to see a big change in terms of um, the demographics in the tech space and in the financial tech space, especially uh, mm -hmm. X kind of generation coming up. No, that's true. Because um, I'm seeing even with like me at work, we are getting more. Um, females in the environment and um, you know there's they try to encourage it but what I've found is so females do get in at times but then yeah. because of how the environment is they tend to leave earlier yeah. um, I mean I've had that thought before <laughs> yeah so, and I know um, but how do you think then like how can we solve for that because I mean it's easy to say oh my gosh there aren't a lot of females and when they get uh -huh. there they leave but if we're not having solutions, they, it defeats the, the discussion, essentially. So I think on the one hand, um, th there's two ways that people end up getting encouraged to leave uh, being in tech. And the one part is maybe a little more positive, but still not great, um, is that women have are often pushed out of more technical roles into more people-focused roles. There's a misconception that women are automatically people people <laughs> and, so, and men are just people exactly. and it, yeah. which is completely wrong I mean there are there there's no correlation to gender whatsoever these days um, yes and so you find that I found it especially that I was often pushed away from the more technical specialist work and encouraged to be more people focused more about uh, managing things or being the interpretive person or um, being the go-between. So yeah. that's, I mean, sometimes it means that you become the team lead, um, which may be nice, but um, <laughs> it also pushes women away from something that they may really enjoy doing, which isn't great. Um, on the other hand, I think the, the environment um, and the, the atmosphere uh, in many places isn't great. I think it's more uh, prevalent in your big corporates, which are yes. slower to adapt in terms of culture. Um, yeah. It is more uh, prevalent in South Africa, particularly, I think, because we are, we follow a more traditional model in terms of workplace culture, which mm -hmm. is traditional uh, patriarchal unfortunately <laughs> um, so there, there isn't a lot of encouragement for women to be more technical more specialist um, and to be respected in those positions in terms of how to how to improve that I think it's down to culture um, as we move towards a more inclusive culture regardless of whether it's about gender or race or language or religion or country of origin, as soon as we become more inclusive, um, then it doesn't matter who you are as long as you 
work well with what you need to do and work well with others, then you should be fine. Yeah, no, it is a culture shift, I think, that businesses and like large corporates need. Mm. Um, it's a huge culture shift and we, people are still, uh, they're slowly getting there because I know with like a few corporates, they are trying to be more um, like inclusive and mm. um, like gender and, you know, sex orientation and all those things. So they, yeah. I do think there is an improvement, but obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. But I also believe that there's, something so critical that we're missing we're not teaching them when they're still in primary school so girls for instance specifically Mm. we miss that part when the girl like when we're still making decisions and like finding what we love we're not Mm. exposing them to enough tech to be able to say oh my gosh I enjoy doing this or oh my gosh this is this could be my passion so by the time they get to like high school it's a bit too late for them to yeah. start focusing on like, oh my God, tech could be my industry. Um, and that's where we miss them. I think that's where Africa still needs to work on. And yeah. I think the big problem is that we're not agnostic enough towards gender and anything really um, at young ages. Um, yeah. That there there shouldn't be, I mean, there there's still this mindset that, uh, men can't do needlework, they can't do home economics, women can't do woodwork, um, can't mm. do technology. Um, so I think it needs to start right at the school level. That you, you don't split by gender or by language or by any of those, that you allow kids to just do what they want. Um, mm-hmm. It was something I saw in Japan that really surprised me, is that, um, again, it's a difference in culture, but they're uh cooking and sewing are seen more as masculine roles because they lead to professions like chef uh like the designer um which isn't great because then they exclude women <laughs> instead so it's not <laughs> great it's the opposite direction but it kind of showed me that it's very much a cultural thing um more than anything yeah it, it's not about that women are better at it or men are better at anything it's it's that that's what the culture has told us is predominant for that role. So it's really about that we need to understand what, what assumptions we have made because of our culture. And once we understand that it is an assumption, it's not the way things are, that's when we can begin changing our behavior. Um, yeah. So maybe it's, it starts with better education for the teachers, I guess, to be more... Um, teachers need to be exposed more um, to different ideas. Schools, not teachers specifically, but schools, uh, principals, um, people who set the textbooks, that sort of thing, who set the curriculum, they need to better understand their own assumptions about what is better for people so that they can create the atmosphere where we aren't pigeonholing, pigeonholing children into particular roles because of our yeah. own cultural assumptions. I think even parents then need to um, yeah, yeah. be taught that as well. Because if you go home and like when you get home, all you're doing is like cleaning and cooking and the exactly. boys are like playing with the cars outside. It kind of gives an assumption also. Yeah. So yeah. I do agree. I think it's generally, it's it's the adult's fault. The kids, the adults in general. <laughs> we just need to be better. <laughs> just generally better. <laughs> <laughs> okay um i think uh in close well not closing per se but um one thing i would like to know before we end this is 
what lessons have helped you stay in tech? So like if you could tell your younger self lessons that have kept you in tech, what, what would they be or what would it be? I think it, it's something I actually mentioned earlier, um, that idea of a hybrid. Um, okay. A lot of people told me early on in my career that I needed to specialize, that I needed, um, I mean, I don't even have my honors. Um, I stopped at a bachelor and then ran off to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Right now. laughs> yeah a lot of people were encouraging me to get a master's get a doctorate and then when I started working people kept telling me that it was great that I was this all-rounder that I knew all these things and could do all these things but I needed to specialize if I wanted to go further um, mm-hmm. and it didn't sit well with me because I'm not a specializing kind of person I like to learn a little bit of everything um, I don't mm-hmm. have the long-winded patience to focus on something for years um and so I it was hard for me to to keep Mm -hmm. telling people no even though they kept giving me this what sounded like really great advice um and I'm glad I actually stuck to it and well or avoided it because Mm -hmm. being curious being diversified is actually being so valuable to me and it's really what's got me where I am today um it's that curiosity and that willingness to learn anything um and that refusal to say that's too hard or I don't know or that's not my job or not my area you really have to be curious and open-minded and willing to try your hand at almost anything because that's what makes you really flexible and valuable Uh, especially in a industry like tech that is completely (laughs) evolving every six months or so. (laughs) Even quicker than that, actually. Yeah, I think it's five, six hours at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Um, no, that's 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 profound. I will consider that in my tech career, definitely. Yes. Um, <laughs> but also, okay, no, this time it is the last one. I used to get this question a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. They'd be like, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" So I'd like to like end this one with, "Where do you see tech in Africa, South Africa, specific, well, specifically in five years?" Um, no, that's a difficult question because I think if you'd asked me that five months ago would have been a very different answer (laughs) it would have looked different (laughs) yeah so uh, honestly um as i said south africa africa in general has this mindset of make a plan make it work figure it out and so in this really difficult challenging time of the the uh worldwide epidemic i do think that south africa is really going to bloom already is starting to we're seeing such amazing innovation and technical innovation coming out because people can't do face-to-face anymore um we're seeing the most amazing businesses pop up so i think south africa is going to really pull ahead in terms of uh technical uh innovation and technology in general um i think it's going to be a really exciting time for us in the next couple of years so i'm um, very excited to be South African right now. <laughs> I feel like it's the epidemic has kind of forced people to quickly become disruptive. So yeah, they yeah, exactly. like we were taking our own time strolling to this whole idea of like, oh, we're going to improve in tech. But now it's just like you don't have a choice. Everything needs to be tech. So yeah, um, 
yeah, it's a downfall that the virus came, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's because it's not nice, doesn't mean it's not miraculous, <laughs> it's not nice. yeah, at all. But this has been, yeah, I mean, we were dabbling around the idea of Industry 4.0 and saying it's coming, it's coming. Well, now we don't have a choice, <laughs> we have yeah. to adapt, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming through. I really appreciate having this talk with you. I feel inspired. Um, and I've learned a lot. <laughs> I'm so glad about you. It's fun chatting with someone about all of this. It's yeah, favorite topic. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I will, yeah. Hopefully talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening and join me next week for another untold story about African women in disruptive tech. Till then, 